So this morning, uh, one of the things that is coming up uh, very quickly, uh, actually this coming Saturday, uh, we should be receiving pumpkins for our pumpkin patch. We are doing that again this year. So we are excited about that. Um, hopefully last year we, we only had 10 days out of, a, out of an almost 25 day time frame. We had 10 days to sell pumpkins. We made over $7,400. So it is an awesome thing. And the best part is, is we get to engage our community. So it's, it's a community event. Uh, they're coming on Saturday. Fingers crossed. Um, the upside is we get twice as many pumpkins. The downside is we get twice as many pumpkins. Um, so uh, if you are able to help, we would love to have you. Um, October 23rd, which is a Saturday, we're going to have our family fun day, inviting our community to come in. And then on October 31st, which is the last day of our, of our pumpkin patch, we are going to do a trunk or treat for our community here at the church. So be watching for the details of that. Uh, you will not want to miss uh, those events. So fun, fun, fun. Yeah. Um, as we get into... Uh, passage this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 3. So if you want to grab your Bibles, um, analog or otherwise, uh, you can grab those. Turn to John chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read that together. But before we do that, uh, we just want to spend some time in prayer, asking the Lord uh, to open the eyes of our hearts. Let's pray together. Holy Lord, I pray that you would move freely here this morning, that your spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts and unclog our ears, that we may not only hear, but that we may understand. We pray this in your name. Amen. John chapter 3. So if, uh, if you could stand with me, let's read this together. Uh, the story uh, and the interaction of Jesus and Nicodemus. John chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. I just got these and I still can't find them half the time. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at this. You, must, be, you must, must not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak to you of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. The word of God for us today. You may be seated. We've been talking about these these interactions that Jesus is that Jesus is having along his way and today we're going to talk about Nicodemus but for a moment I want to kind of rewind a little bit think about last week last week Pastor Brian brought us the story and, and the interaction that Jesus had with the woman at the well the Samaritan woman at the well and if you've seen The Chosen, man, that is, that is, a, that is an awesome scene. And, and my favorite's at the end with, with Peter, of course, because Peter's my guy. But anyway, um, that's a whole nother set of sermons. But remember, she was a Samaritan. They didn't like the Jews. The Jews didn't like them. She was a woman. Didn't have a whole lot of place in society. Didn't have a whole lot of opportunity. Didn't really have much need of anything for her. No one needed her. She was a sinner. She had to come in the middle of the day because not only did she have five husbands, but she had kind of the sixth one starting. She was an outcast. She was an outcast in her own village. And yet Jesus went out of his way. He said, I have to go. I must go. Jesus went out of his way, was compelled. Luke, 10, or Luke 19, 10 says, but Jesus goes to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus goes out of his way. And his compassion and that interaction included her. It brought her in. It validated her to say, you are important. Not what you're doing. She said, he said, Quit doing that. But you are important because of who you are to me. And his compassion redeemed her. Man, what an interaction that was. Can you imagine that? And now we we come to Nicodemus. How different could these two people be? Let's look at it for a moment. Who was Nicodemus? Well, we, we have some pretty clear descriptors that we read out of, uh, out of John chapter 3. Uh, there was a Pharisee. Well, to do that, let's back up a little bit. One, he was a Jew. So now you have a Samaritan, didn't like the Jews, Jews didn't like them. Now you have a Jew. In contrast to that story, he was, he was integrated and accepted into the culture. And where, when this story and where the story is happening is a Jewish culture. And they are there for the feast of the Passover feast. And so that's an important time. It was an important time to be a Jew. And much like this morning when we, when we took time to remember the cross of Christ, the Jews took that Passover time to remember how God had redeemed a people. He was a Jew. He was integrated. He was accepted. Um, In that culture, if you were a Jew and and you were in good standing, if you went anywhere, if you did anything, you knocked on someone's door, they they let you in. They they helped you. They cared for you. That was what you did. He and others would have seen themselves as the insiders. God's chosen people. We're, We're Israel. We're Jews. We're God's people. We're better than you. He was a Pharisee, and not just a Pharisee. 
He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. This is the Sanhedrin. So imagine he was a Supreme Court justice. It's kind of the same kind of of parallel we can draw today. So now you have a a Jewish man who's on the inside, who's who's already kind of thinking things, and and now he's a Pharisee. And not just any Pharisee, but he was the one that, that everyone kind of went to. He was, wherever he went, he was always the smartest guy in the room. I don't know what that's like, but it's got to be cool. (laughs) Just once. I guess I am the smartest guy in the room when I walk into a room by myself. (laughs) He held a hugely prominent position as a ruler of Pharisees, as as a a, a, a prestigious, powerful position that had so much uh, 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 influence and status. Just because of the garments that he wore, just because of the place he was, he got stuff. We know from scripture, he was the teacher of Israel. We were told that in, in, in this, these verses here. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. So, so basically all the, all the other Pharisees, he was the chief justice. He was the head guy over all the head guys. Don't know what that's like either. He was also wealthy. We read that through some other passages in, in, in other writings that he was a very, very wealthy individual from his family, from his, from his uh, uh, position. He had stuff. He was a Jew. Secondly, we see this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man. He was a guy. I I know that kind of seems redundant, but remember this culture. Men had the opportunities. Men had the education. Men had had could buy land and buy houses and, and, and had status in culture, and women really didn't. Can you see how? Nicodemus and the woman at the well are nothing alike. Being a man gave Nicodemus the abilities to to even hold the position of Pharisee, to even, even have that opportunity for advancement, for learning, for status, for education. He he was able to live a more upright life. He not only followed all the rules, he made some of them. He was so positioned. And he was well liked. We we read that. He was was very well liked. So I'm sure he he didn't have any want for, you know, places to go for the holidays. Everyone wanted a piece of Nicodemus. You see how Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman are nothing alike? There's a few things I I, I think maybe we we haven't seen as we we process through this. And the the first word of chapter three, and the NIV says now, but in some original text it says but. And you see, Nicodemus was different than the other Pharisees, than everyone else. Now, Jesus didn't particularly have a great track record with, with the Jewish ruling leaders, did he? The religious leaders. 
you know, he, did, he didn't really like hanging out with them. He didn't really like talking nice to them either. He talked truth to them, didn't he? But Nicodemus was different. And, and we know that because as, as people were coming to Jesus, they were simply coming because they could get something from him. They, they, you know, Jesus could heal them or Jesus, you know, I'm going to go, oh, there's a weird guy. I'm going to go check it out. You know, it's our version of rubbernecking, apparently. But he is put in contrast to that because he was not like them. He was a curious and inquiring person. He was truly a truth seeker. He wanted to know the truth. He wanted the knowledge. And here's a guy, really, the smartest guy in the room. And he still wanted to learn. He still understood that, that I... I I understand who Jesus is. Remember in, in, in this first part of the chapter, he says, he came from, uh, to Jesus and said, you're a teacher. You come from God because God is in, you couldn't do this stuff without him. And he knows it, but yet he's having a little bit of an issue. He's struggling. It's like he knows Jesus. He knows who Jesus really is, but man, he just can't quite wrap his mind around it. Ever feel like that? Now you read it, you know it's true, you know it's there, but, but it, just, it just doesn't feel like it's applicable to your life. I hate that feeling. Verse one and verse 10 tell us that he was a deeply, deeply religious and pious person. Now, as a Pharisee, he would have had to be, as a member of the Sanhedrin, he would have had to be. But that's how he grew up. Can you imagine memorizing all of the scriptures available by the time you were a young teenager? Most of us know John 3.16, right? Yep. You know, but by, you know, they would have known all of that. They would have had it in memory. They, that would have been part of, that would have been ingrained in their life. And so they lived by those rules. They followed them. They, they meticulously said, there's how, and now as a, as a Pharisee, as a religious leader, he's enforcing them and, and, and he's making sure other people follow them and he's interpreting them and he's adding to them as the, the Pharisees love to do. He was Israel's teacher. And for the first time, he's not the smartest person in the room. The woman at the well and Nicodemus, two of the most opposite people you could ever want to see in Scripture, but they weren't so different, were they? because they both needed Jesus. They both needed to encounter Jesus for life. And we see this in this interaction with Nicodemus. Despite all he had to overcome, we see this compassion in these three statements. In verse three, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, listen. Nicodemus, I think, would have made a great disciple. Because in great disciple fashion, he goes, I don't get it. You ever feel that way? I remember my college days, and professors saying stuff, and I'm like, I wrote it down. I got it. Don't get it. 
It took a while. I love the, the 11 to 2 a.m. meetings in the dorm and trying to figure things out. Nicodemus was trying to figure things out. Then the second phrase, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Verse five, Nicodemus in true disciple fashion, I don't understand. I want to, I'm struggling. The last one we see in verse 15, 14 and 15. Just as Moses was lifted up, or just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, he uses a story that Nicodemus would have been intimately familiar with. He would have known this story. He would have shared this story. He would have taught this story. He would have known this from, from being a wee little kid. Oh yeah, I remember that story. You ever have that when something happens and, and Jesus just, God just does something in your life and uses something just small and quirky and, and all of a sudden you get it. See, just like the woman at the well, we can see Jesus compassionately engaging Nicodemus and helping him along and even challenging him. Hey, you're, you're the teacher of Israel. You don't get this? And through all of these, we see one thing that Jesus is doing to both of them. And that's inviting them. Extending them an invitation. Saying, listen, understand this. I want to invite you into something. For the woman at the well, she was like, let's go. Nicodemus struggled a little bit more, didn't he? A couple of uh, articles I was reading, one of them uh, listed Nicodemus's kind of journey. And we see this in, in, in John chapter seven, we see Nicodemus stand before the Sanhedrin and, and, and defend Jesus, stand up for Jesus. So that was a big deal. I mean, that, that could have got him in hot water. And then in, in John chapter 19, we see when Jesus is, is on the cross, it is, it is Nicodemus and Joseph of, of Arimathea who, who take the body and, and wrap it and embalm it and, and bury it. And we know from other writings that, that after, as the church was beginning, Nicodemus poured his wealth into the building of the church as it was starting. So at some point, Nicodemus had it, but this article said, said his journey to Jesus was a slow burn. I don't know what that's like either. Mine are pretty quick or usually explosions, but for Nicodemus, it just took him a bit. And maybe that's your journey. But you had a woman at the well who was, was on this end of society, not in the, but as far on that side of society as you can get. And you had Nicodemus who was as far on that society as you could get. And Jesus went to both of them and invited them in. What do you invite them to? Well, the same thing he's inviting you to. The same thing he's inviting us to. The first thing we see in that first, that first uh, phrase He's inviting us into a relationship with Jesus Christ through salvation. A relationship, an intimate relationship. Not like, eh, kind of sort, an intimate, deep relationship. John 10, 9 says, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
In Acts chapter 10, it says, you know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing, hey, guess what? I got a message for you. Announcing the good news through Christ Jesus. Romans 7.25 reminds us that we are to be thankful. Why? Why why do we be thankful? Because he delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. We are invited. We are part of that invitation. That invitation to to come and, and, and be part of, be intimately related to who I am. And think about that. Jesus is inviting us when he knows that we may not even like him. Romans 10, or Romans 5 says, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies of God. I like that. I like that, the way they, they word that. While we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. He is extending that invitation. And maybe, maybe like, like the woman of the well, you're, you're in a space where, where you're just kind of feeling that way. Maybe you're like Nicodemus. You, man, I've got it all. It's all good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm living my life. All of, his, all of his experience, all of his wealth, I'm pious. I, I'm doing the right thing. I'm righteous. And God goes, no, you're not. We are invited to the cleansing transformation through the Holy Spirit. Very truly, verse 5 I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5. We also see this several times through Scripture, the, the, the correlation between water and word, capital W. John even starts his book, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He, he talks about how creation happened through the Word. You go back to Genesis, you can see that. It, it brings a whole different meaning to the word he spoke into existence, doesn't it? Anyway, I digress. There's that correlation. Isaiah chapter 44, verse three. Listen to this, I love this. For I will, and, and again, Nicodemus would have known this passage. This is the one, one of these, he would have had these memorized. For I will pour water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Ezekiel chapter 36 says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put in you a new spirit. Listen to this. I will remove from you your heart of stone that dead heart, that heart that doesn't beat. And I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees to be careful in keeping the laws. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, Titus 3, 5. He's inviting us. I remember as a kid, when I got my first invitation to a sleepover, I didn't get to go to many of those. But I remember getting that and I'm like, I'm like someone back in the day, you know, they had to fill out a card and, and put it in an envelope and 
put your address on it and, and then lick that stuff on the back and then lick a stamp and stick it on. The, then they had to take it to a mailbox somewhere and then some stranger dropped it off at your house. Texting is so much easier, right? <laughs> Just make an event on Facebook. All good. I'm old. I do Facebook. Sorry. But I remember getting that invitation. I'm like, woohoo, I got an invitation. Mom, can I go? And then she let me. I forgot my clothes and my pillow, or my sleeping bag, but I have my pillow. And I, I don't, I was a little kid, so who cares if I get dirty? They're clothes. But man, that invitation was so sweet. And I, I cherish that invitation. You remember your first invitation to something? We see this third phrase, this third invitation that Jesus, not just, not just for salvation, that, that, that relationship experience through Jesus, not just washing of the water in the word through the Holy Spirit, but we are invited to more life. More life. I love, when I, when I share the gospel, um, a dare to Share has a, the, the gospel analogy, G-O-S-P-E-L, and the L stands for, for we have life, not just eternally, but life is eternal, but starts now also. How many of us are living life? You go back to that story of Moses and they're in the desert and, and, and it wasn't just like, hey, everyone, look at the stick. They had a reason to look at the stick. Anyone know? Snakes. Everyone was getting bitten by poisonous snakes. In my experience, that's a bad thing. We call them nope ropes. Nope, I'm out. And just like he uses this analogy to say, look, if, if just like the Israelites needed to look on this so they could live, so they could have life, the Son of Man, the Son of God brings life. Think about our medical logo in the hospitals and in, in, in any medical. What is it? It's a stick with snakes wrapped around it. How convenient. Romans 5.17 says, we receive God's abundant provision. Do you feel like you have been abundantly provided for? John 10, 10 says, we have life abundantly. I like one phrase that says, we have life to the full. Get your full on. Let's go. You see, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, as a Jew, as a man, as a member of the Sanhedrin, he had everything he could ever wanted. Earthly, earthly treasures, praise of others, status and position, confidence, in his lifestyle. But verse 15 also reminds us of this, that it wasn't just an invitation to Nicodemus, was it? Look at verse 15. That everyone who believes, everyone, it's for everyone. It's for the Samaritan woman at the well who's living in sin, who's struggling, who's just an outcast. All the way to Nicodemus, who's in the in crowd, who's at the top of his game. Everyone in between. 
You see, Nicodemus and the Samaritan weren't so different, were they? We've been given that same invitation. But what are you doing with that invitation? What are you doing with it? For me, I, I, I kept that invitation. I went to the party. It was fun. I think. I had fun, I think. I wanted to go back, so apparently I had fun. But I kept that invitation. I stashed it away. This is my invitation. This is mine. And I held on to that. Now, it wasn't my party, so I really couldn't invite other people. But we've been invited. But we've also been said, hey, you can invite other people. It's okay. Will you keep it and savor it as a prized thing? Because you see, the woman and Nicodemus both needed Jesus. And there's very few people that would fall outside of Nicodemus and outside of the Samaritan woman. Or maybe you're like Nicodemus and, and you're struggling to understand it. Maybe you would even give up, but we know that that's slow burn. Maybe you're on that slow burn journey. Jesus is still inviting you. The invitation's still there. Maybe we need to extend that invitation to others. How well do we do that? How well do we share that invitation with others? Are we willing to live in a way that we are inviting to other people for them to see Christ in us, to ask us about Christ? I tell the youth, if someone has to ask if I'm a Christian, apparently I'm doing something wrong. How inviting are we? You don't even have to lick a stamp. How are you sharing it? What are you doing with it? That's the question for you this morning. What will you do with your encounter with Jesus?